pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. What's up, guys? Happy Sunday evening. Dylan DeChair here, coming to you from Seattle, Washington, uh, where I am really the lone host on tonight's Drop Zone podcast. This has the potential to be uh, an awkward format, just the the one guy monologue, Jim Rome style. However, I'll keep it short for that reason. Um, We do have an interview coming up at the end of this program. I guess about only a third of the way through the program we will get there. But in the meantime, I did want to run through a quick a quick discussion on the week that was in golf. Uh, five quick questions, if you will. Sean Zock, my lovely, talented co-host, is uh, it's the middle of the night in England where he is. He has touched down safely in the United Kingdom. He's begun the scouting process. Of, of next month's Open Championship. So there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming from the drop zone, coming from Sean. Um, but in the meantime, what a week in golf. Five quick questions. Let's buzz through them. Number one, what did you think of Keegan Bradley's win? Well, I'm glad you asked because I thought it was spectacular. No surprise here. Unapologetic New England golf fan. Uh, there are not a lot of guys that will, not a lot of guys who, who compromise, I guess, my whatever journalistic integrity, whatever may remain of that. Um, but Keegan Bradley would be one of them. I mean, the fact that this guy grew up in Vermont, I grew up a quarter mile from Vermont, and he lived in Massachusetts. I grew up in Massachusetts played a bunch of golf with his uncle in college. I mean, I I grew up being a Keegan Bradley fan long before I was uh, some sort of impartial observer of the golf world. Uh, One of the first tournaments I went to, Keegan was playing in the Deutsche Bank. I was in college. We went down and watched with some of his family members. And I remember him laying up in the bunker on 18 to miss the cut, I believe, by one because he made bogey from there. And... Part of the lesson there, I think, was that this was an example of Keegan trying too hard in situations where he wanted it the most. And interestingly enough, fittingly enough, I started today in East Central Vermont, in Pittsfield, Vermont, where I was at my buddy Taylor's wedding, which was a spectacular affair. Um, It's two towns over from Woodstock. Woodstock, Vermont is where Keegan Bradley grew up, where he first learned to play golf, where he first honed his craft. And I guess what you can learn about Keegan from driving through Woodstock, Vermont, is this is a town of less than 3,000 people. I mean, there were there was some multiple of that number of people surrounding the 18th green this afternoon chanting his name. So... I get that people not from New England could even, you know, start to roll their eyes at the whole Keegan New England thing. But this is a guy who came from a cold weather state who played golf, you know, really just a few months out of the year, who came from the country. I mean, he even said talking about Hartford, Connecticut, that yeah, where where he grew up, they would think of that as pretty far south. I think the coolest thing about Keegan is that one, you can see the effort 
and two, you can see the reward. Like he is, he's not shy about sharing with you how hard it is for him to do this, nor is he bashful about showing off how much it means when he does. I mean, last year at the U.S. Open at Brookline, he played really well, and he was so grateful to the fans for chanting his name, for giving him that experience. Basically was saying, look, how could how could it get any better than this? And I'm sure he would take a major championship over winning the Travelers. But as far as non-majors go, now that the Deutsche Bank doesn't exist or the, the Dell or, you know, whatever the event was called, the TPC Boston, now that that doesn't exist, this Travelers is about as close as it comes to a New England. I mean, it literally is the only every year New England PGA Tour stop. Is that a shame? Yes, of course it's a shame. Um, but this one he has circled on his calendar, even after a missed cut at the uh, at the U.S. Open last week, even after playing some some bad golf, after being disappointed, he came back. His family has a house in Massachusetts now. Uh, they've relocated for the summers, I believe, is the plan, and he'll be in Florida in the winter. Uh, but Keegan has doubled down on being New England. And you could tell from the crowds on Sunday that they have doubled down on being Keegan people. So, I mean, I thought it was awesome. I thought the celebration coming up 18 was really special. Uh, I thought what he said afterwards was was really cool. I'm curious if other people feel the same way or if, you know, you are doing the eye roll thing at the New England bit. Um, No surprise that one of the first things he said after the round to his wife was, you know, this puts me in better position for the Ryder Cup. He's now number seven, I believe, in Ryder Cup standings. What we're going to come down to here is a really, really compelling captain's pick season because there's a bunch of big names, a bunch of guys that we just sort of penciled in on this list after, say, last year's President's Cup. Wyndham Clark was not one of them. Keegan Bradley was not one of them, unless you know you were you were me. I've basically pulled for Keegan to be on every Ryder Cup team. But man, the Ryder Cup is at its best when the people in it really, really, really want to be there. I think that's my biggest fear with these European uh, live players not being there this year. Is God, you're you're missing something from that competition, and. Keegan may want to be there more than anyone else, more than any other professional golfer. Keegan Bradley may want to be there more than the rest of them. So that's a very cool thing. What that'll mean for all these other guys that are on the bubble, what that'll mean for Ricky Fowler going forward, what that'll mean for, I don't know, I mean, Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa, you would figure they have to be on the team, right? Like they have to. Dustin Johnson, he has to be on the team, right? Went 5-0 and last time. But, I mean, none of these guys on the bubble, I guess, are guaranteed anything, and, and we're going to see how it shakes out. So, anyway, that's question number one. That wasn't even that quick. But, man, Keegan. Uh, I'm writing a little bit of a little something on Keegan that should post to golf.com on some, at some point on Monday. Um, question number two, what else did you learn from this week on the PGA Tour? Well, a monster week for Zach Blair finished t2 if you haven't heard the name zach blair in a while i don't blame you if you didn't bet on him this week 
also don't blame you. I believe he was maybe going off at the longest odds in the field, I want to say. He was somewhere in the 1,000 to 1 to 5,000 to 1 area. And he shot 65-65 to play his way into contention. Shot 68 in the third round and then shot 62 on round four to finish T2. This is a guy that was playing on uh, on some sort of medical exemption. He said he had seven or eight starts left. And needless to say, this is a game changer for the rest of his career, really. This is a guy that missed basically two years with a shoulder injury and it fell off everyone's radar. So credit to Zach Blair finishing T2. Credit to Brian Harmon for finishing T2 alongside him. Uh, I guess different. We learned different things about Patrick Cantlay and Scotty Scheffler, or maybe we didn't learn anything about either of them. But Scotty worked his way into T4 really at the end of the day. Birdied the 18th to do it. Eagled 15. You know, birdied 13 and 14. The dude cannot miss the top five. He cannot finish outside the top five Patrick Cantlay on the other hand was thinking about winning this thing until he bogeyed 16 and 18 so I think he'd gotten within three and uh you know you you have to do some arithmetic turn those bogeys into birdies and then he's tied with Keegan at 23 under but yeah more good golf from him he plays really good at this place uh Rory said the golf course here has become obsolete I mean, I think, as always, if you just sort of take the the juiciest bits of what he said and and put it in a little quote graphic, then uh, there's a lot of people that are going to say, hey, will this guy shut up already? Will this guy stop talking? But if you actually read or listen to what he said, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty compelling. The fact that you could finish, uh, if you you didn't shoot double digits under par here, you were finishing outside the top 40 should give you some suggestion of the clumping on the leaderboard that Rory was talking about. Uh, the fact that you need to grow up the rough so high to defend a short golf course like this one, which is under 7,000 yards. I think that that is the sort of thing that he was talking about. Um, anyway, he played well again, finished T7. I think that's a it's a good sign for a couple of these horses for Scotty. And then to a lesser extent, Rory, that keep just playing really well. Um, going into the Open Championship, it's crazy to me that there's only one more one more men's major this year. That all there are so many worthy, deserving golfers that will leave this season without a major. Uh, another guy that won one last year, Justin Thomas. Signs of life after last week's weird, weird... 153rd place finish at the U.S. Open. He finished T9, shot 64, 62, 67 in the final three rounds, which is just about as good as anybody. Not quite as good as a few guys, but just about as good as as most other guys. And then Ricky Fowler shot 60 on Saturday. So more good stuff from Rick. He finished T13. A lot of red numbers, which gets us to quick question number three. Wait, weren't you watching the women's finish Referring to, of course, the major championship that happened at Baltusrol this weekend, uh, the KPMG Women's PGA. Um, and in fact, I was. I was watching the Women's PGA because I boarded a JetBlue flight in perfect timing, and there were a couple screens available, TV screens, 
boom, you pull up the PGA Tour on one, you pull up the LPGA uh, on the other. And um, it was drama down the stretch. I mean, I think the the most obvious storyline going into well, the most obvious storyline going into the final round was Leon McGuire coming off a win last week. How is she going to handle this sort of major championship pressure holding the lead? Uh, the story then morphed into, wait a minute, could Rose Zhang win this thing? She won her first LPGA Tour start, and now could she seriously win her first major start as a pro? Could she start two for two? Anyway, both those storylines faded um rose made a couple bogeys in the last handful of holes she left a birdie putt on the edge she didn't quite get there back-to-back par fives to finish left the door open for an opportunity for some fireworks uh in the end it was there were fireworks there were there were good shots there were bad shots um yeah Ronin yin lifted the trophy ultimately and what was interesting about this in contrast to Rose, well, I guess not in contrast, but in comparison to Rose, Yin is also 20, also 20 years old. And there are different ways that we talk and think about rising stars, young pros on in the world of professional golf. And especially in the women's game, there are these young phenoms where in the men's game, you, you just don't see as many guys outside of you know, Tom Kim, who's a real outlier, you don't see as many guys that are in their, you know, late teens, early 20s, actually making a big mark in the men's game. In the women's game, you see it more often. Lydia Ko was here this week. She's another reminder always of someone that's, you know, now been playing out here for a decade, but started at an extremely young age because she's still in her mid-20s. Um, so, Yin became the second Chinese golfer male or female to win a major championship and she's got a cool way about her she was not shy about fist pumping in this winning birdie putt on the 18th green um she's fiery she's got a hell of a golf game that held up under pressure so i'm excited to see more from her it was a really bunched leaderboard it was crazy to try to keep track of it because there were so many different permutations of what could happen of of uh you know, players being at anywhere from five under to eight under playing these last few holes and thinking about, okay, wait a minute. There is very much birdie and bogey available at each of these things. Baltus Rawl showed out in that regard. Um, I think throughout the week, parts of it, yeah, where it could be a little bit of a slog, but it definitely played in that major championship style. Um, it was very, yeah, I mean, I guess that if you could have a critique, it's like, Maybe it didn't spread the players out enough. I mean, there were 23 players under par. And uh, and what? I guess there were seven players within two shots of the lead by the end. But that sure made for a, a hell of a finish. Uh, Stephanie Meadow had the shot of the, the most memorable shot of this closing stretch. She just cold-topped a three-wood that just skipped right over the pond, needing to make eagle to uh, force a playoff. Um, so that was pretty cool. Question four of, of my four quick questions is actually going to be, how about Rose Zhang? And how about it is, yeah, she finished T8. She rocked it in her first major championship as a pro. 
uh, I mean, it's just all systems go. The hype train can roll on. There was another 20-year-old who won who should get a lot of credit, who should show up in, uh, yeah, who should be talked about, you know, for, for this incredible accomplishment. But, of course, there is the hype machine already in full swing for Rose Zhang, and there's nothing that we've now seen that should slow any of that down. So, um, really cool week. Cool to see the women at Baltusrol. Uh, cool to see Baltusrol showing out in proper fashion. And um, yeah, let's get to question five. This is enough of of me just talking into the void here. Question five: What else are we about to hear? And what we're about to hear is, well, more of my voice, but in this case, talking to another human being. This would be Victor Hovland. And I spent some time recently with Victor, right before the PGA Championship, actually, which he almost won, I would point out. And uh, then shortly thereafter, he he uh, did win the Memorial. So I think this was the start of some good things for Victor. Um, so keep in mind, this is also before any live PGA Tour merger talk. Uh, so listen to it with that context. But yeah, this came at the end of the day of a cover shoot with Victor for Golf Magazine. It came in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And uh, I was hoping originally actually for like a little bit closer to an hour. But, you know, as these things sometimes do, the, the photo portion took a little longer than we thought. The video portion on the driving range, which you'll be able to see more of on golf.com. But that took a little bit longer than we thought. Anyway, you can picture us sitting in the locker room at Oklahoma State in Stillwater at Karsten Creek specifically is the the course there, which is just a giant shrine to the Cowboys golf team. And uh, I think you'll hopefully learn a little bit more about Victor. It's it's slightly abridged. You get about 20 minutes of Vic um, and myself. But yeah, he's an interesting character. He's, he's different, I think, than a lot of the other guys that are his generation on the PGA Tour. These guys in their mid to late 20s so many of them are like 26 going on 40 and uh, I touched on this in a, in the story that I wrote about Victor for the magazine, but he's not, he's, he's a dude in his mid twenties. That's likes to play online poker and go on road trips and go down internet rabbit holes. And, and uh, I think you're going to like listening to him. So here's just a little snippet from Victor. You're going to hear and see and read a lot more about him on golf.com this week. Um, And sorry for just me this week. Next week, we'll have a little better balance to chair and Zach back together. For now, here's Victor. Thanks for listening. Victor Hovland, thanks for joining us from the Karsten Creek locker room. This place is like a shrine to Oklahoma State Golf, huh? This is where it all happens. What's the quick story on how you ended up here? How did you get from Norway to uh, the middle of Oklahoma? Growing up in Norway, I was basically just trying to become the best golfer that I wanted to be and never thought I was good enough to turn pro out of high school. So I always knew that, okay, college would be the next step, but I had no idea you know, I don't know the difference between all the colleges. And it wasn't until I started playing a little bit more internationally in Europe. Coach Bratton came out to recruit. He saw Chris Ventura. He went to Oklahoma State. And then when I came for a visit, he kind of told me a lot about 
how he likes it and and I got a different insight into it and uh, when I came for a visit here I just fell in love. What's the first time you knew that you were good enough to potentially be a pro like was it when you were 10 or 11 or hmm. not till you were in college how did you know? Winning the US Amateur was was a big step uh, but even then I was like okay I'll finish my last year in school get a degree uh, and then maybe after uh, try to play professional golf but I didn't understand how many opportunities the USAM gave me. Yeah. And I was able to play some PJ Tour events on exemption or on invites and I played a couple of majors. So after kind of the masters and I'd even say like the Bay Hill, uh, where I finished fortieth and I didn't really feel like I played all that great and still made the cut and left a lot of shots out there. And that's kind of when I, I realized that, okay, I can, I can do this. Because I'd missed my first couple of cuts as an amateur. Uh, but after kind of making a couple of cuts without feeling like my game was, was quite there, um, that was, uh, yeah, that was a big one. Well, then you ran off like, what, like 600 straight rounds in the 60s once you kind of <laughs> were spending more time on the PGA Tour. That must have been affirming and maybe even surprising. Yeah, the... Obviously, in the summer, the golf courses get a little bit softer and maybe easier, but they're still good good tests. And yeah, my consistency was just awesome. Like I, I didn't even putt all that great that summer. I was basically just shooting in the 60s every single round, just by hitting it straight and hitting a lot of greens. Uh, so that was, yeah, it was it was pretty fun. It sounds simple when you say it like that. Yeah, I think some people look at you and they say, "All right, here's this kid from Oslo." and sure he went to college at Oklahoma State what's he still doing there you know you've got clumps of people in different cities elsewhere around the country why did you stay around here when you turned pro when you turn pro and you start traveling you don't see a lot of the same people that you used to see out on the road because you're used to hanging out with your college teammates and the college coaches and now everything's kind of on your own I really valued just staying here and being around a lot of the guys that I've been around the last few years. And I'm still involved with the program and I care about Oklahoma State. And I, I really like the low keyness of Oklahoma. Um, so yeah, I just, just loved it. I think uh, eventually we're, we're looking for kind of the, the next chapter, but uh, uh, Oklahoma is always gonna have a, a special place. Yeah, are there logistical challenges that come with being here? Well, you are in the middle of the country, so that helps. But yeah, we don't have a, a major airport like Dallas where uh, you can fly everything to, you know, direct. But um, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Have you found a way to live a fancy lifestyle? I know for a while you said you couldn't really figure out what you were supposed to do with these big checks that you were earning. Have, have you turned into a fancier guy now that you've turned 25? Uh, not really. Um, I, I mean, I think we're constantly trying to upgrade things. And if you want something, you know, I can, I can always get something that I really want, but there's not that many things that I really want, you know, just having a bigger and nicer house. is not like, you know, I kind of have everything that I need, but if I want something, I'm not shy to, to, to spend a lot of money on it. If I really want it, it's just, I just happen to not want that many things. Yeah. Well, and you still have a roommate here, right? You live yeah. in a house with another buddy. Yeah. Uh, what's that like? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, um, you know, he's not always there. He's playing some college event as well. 
Uh, but it's nice to have someone kind of look after the house. And when I come home, it's, you know, we can we can chat and, and play golf together and just hang out. And do you have a crew of people around here? Because I know there might not be a ton of PGA Tour players around. But, yeah, you said you, you play a bunch of golf with the Oklahoma State guys still. And then mm -hmm. there's some other guys around too? Yeah, I drive down to Oak Tree National, which is about 40 minutes from, from here. Uh, and there's a good crew of uh, professional golfers, younger and slightly older that played for OU or OSU or a couple of these other schools around here. So uh, we got a good good little environment. And every time I go down there, there's a game. And, and uh, yeah, a little different test of golf compared to Carson Creek. I feel like from the outside, people assume, oh, there's, there's these stars on the PGA Tour. They're all best friends with each other. Obviously, that can't be the case. You guys all live in different places. It's a pretty individualistic thing. Do you feel like you are more of a lone wolf on tour or do you have a crew of guys that you hang out with a lot, play with a lot, go to dinner, etc.? Yeah, there's there's some guys that I'm closer with. You know, a lot of the guys that I went to school with or, um, you know, Chris Ventura when he was on the team and we're both from the same country and uh, stuff like that. But, um, you know, otherwise it's your competitors and um, you know, we're just a little different and it's hard for me to relate to some people. Um, so it does become a very, you know, it is a business, um, but I still have a lot of good friends from home and sometimes they come out and, and hang out. My family comes out or I have my friends back home here. So, um, that's kind of mainly who I hang out with. Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily like the, your competitors yeah. essentially week to week when you're on the road. Are you still playing poker? A little bit, a, yeah. This was uh, a hobby I was curious about. I know you got really, in, it seems like when you get into things, you get really into them. Yeah, um, I like poker. It's uh, you know, it's just a great game, and uh, I think it has a lot of uh, similarities to golf and even life. Um, you know, just understanding probabilities and what's a good mathematical decision to make. You know, you can kind of frame a lot of things in life in that way and you make good mathematical decisions over the long term usually it's gonna end up good for you so um yeah i just think it's uh, very fascinating is that a way you approach your golf game also kind of thinking through the percentages and where you can shave off yeah. half strokes here and there i think uh sometimes you can lose yourself a little bit too much in the moment um you know, you, you miss a couple of 30 footers in a row that don't go in, but it's like, hey, from 30 feet, you're not supposed to make it all that often. So just kind of it sets your expectations at a reasonable level. That doesn't mean that you should strive to try to make that 30 footer, but you at least have a framework to where you can kind of keep yourself a little bit sane. Yeah. So when you're on the road, are you playing a lot of online poker? Like you ever get caught and you're like, whoa, it's two in the morning i got no. a tea time in five hours uh, and i'm it's, it's going not deep that, against yeah not that bad but i'll you know if i'm bored um I, i'm you i've been a lot more busy mm. on the road a lot more uh the last couple of years um so i i don't have that much time to like get my computer up and, and sit there and, and grind but uh are I'll you just, a conservative player what's your style uh i, I i'm not very patient mm. so i'm i'm definitely liable to get out of hand and, and run some sick bluffs. But you but. know what you should do and then you just don't necessarily do it. Yeah, sometimes. Maybe that applies to golf also. We yeah, I've, I've definitely been guilty of that. But uh, sometimes 
it's kind of funny you say that because sometimes I have to be in the right frame of mind to like play poker. Sometimes if you're a little bit stressed or kind of on edge or you, you don't feel that patient, you know, it's, it's easy to, to get out of line and that usually, uh, yeah, punishes me. Do you feel like fans have gotten to know you pretty well over the last few years as you've been spending more and more time on their TV screens? Uh, not really. Um, cause I think, I think when you're playing golf, they just watch you play golf. Um, and the guy that I'm on TV, I don't think you can really get to know me, uh, just by watching me play, yeah. you know? Um, but I think if, if I were to have a podcast or something and I talk for 10 hours a week and you listen to every single hour, I think you would probably get a, a good idea of who I am as a person. But when I'm just playing golf on TV, I don't think, I don't think people really get to know you. Have you considered that the daily two hour Victor podcast? No, I, I, I was just making an example. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I don't really, I like listening to podcasts. I'm not, I'm not the guy that would really, um, uh, listen to myself talk for that. that How much. would you describe yourself though? What do you think, what do you think people are missing? Um, really like I I think I'm very open-minded I'm curious uh, and I'd like to think of myself as a thinker I don't think I don't take stuff for granted uh, I, I love discussions and arguments without you know having any preconceived biases like I just like to to chat and try to figure things out and and, and learn yeah how do you want people to see you uh, I don't really care about what other people think. I just kind of do what, it, what I want to do and I try to be you know, a good person and, and portray myself in, in a good way. But if someone else don't li know me and they don't like it, you know, that I don't really care too much what, what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, there can't, you can't have made too many enemies out there, right? Are there Hovland haters? I'm sure there are. Um, probably lost some people's money out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Daily Fantasy guys. Exactly. They're, they're probably the ones that you hear yeah. from. Yeah, I probably pissed off some people. How important is it to you to have some sort of presence on the, the DP World Tour, even if it's just, you know, a few events a year? Yeah, I mean, I, I like traveling and, and seeing new places. So for my own selfish uh, reasoning, I, I like you know, meeting different people, seeing different places and, and just play golf tournaments. And the DP World Tour definitely allows me to do that. And it is the tour that's, that I kind of grew up watching um, when I grew up in, in Norway, that that would be on, on the TV for the most part. Uh, watching the PJ Tour would be a little too late for me. I had to, had to go to bed and, and wake up for school. So um, I watch the European Tour a lot. And so to, to play over there, I have a few friends over there as well that I don't get to see that much. So hopefully, hopefully this fall, I'll, I'll be able to play some more. And do you feel the pull of Norway? Like, do you get nostalgic for growing up there or, or family there that you miss? Like, do you feel far away? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, but I don't know, like the, the, the times that I go home, it's nice to see everyone, but it kind of gets boring as well because I don't, I don't necessarily have a life at home anymore. It's more like I'm just home visiting. Yeah. Um, and when I'm home and I see my friends, that's great. But in a regular week, they're off somewhere else working. They got their own stuff they got to deal with. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, you know, I, I really enjoy living in the United States, but just going home for uh, and see the mountains, uh, summers are great, seeing the people, you know, just having fresh Norwegian loaf of bread, you know, the, the little things like that is kind of what makes it nostalgic. What's left on your, on your bucket list, or I guess what's first on your bucket list? Um, you know, are there tournaments you want to win, things you want to accomplish, courses you want to go play that are in some far-flung part of the world? Uh, yeah, I, I think, like, the stuff on my list is more kind of outside of golf, just, you know, traveling to places, see, you know, um, yeah, just seeing cool places in the world, uh, like, mysteries kind of get my attention a little bit i just like learn figuring out stuff learning maybe about this stuff. is the podcast actually <laughs> it's like more the mystery angle yeah uh probably is i don't have any strong opinions or uh or any uh yeah hot takes that i could say i just i just want to ask the question and try to figure it out is that what turned you into like a road tripper this curiosity i yeah. mean if you what you drove 22 hours north to lofoten links yep. last summer you drove uh, early in the pandemic, I don't know how many miles you drove to a half dozen tournaments yeah, or more, what, miles. 20 or 30,000 miles probably. What inspires your love of the road trip? Uh, well, I will say I'm probably not going to do that again as many times, but it's one of those things like you, you go to the airport, you go to a hotel and you see the golf course and you kind of do that a few months in a row and it, it, it gets a little old. So I think especially with uh, COVID, I could just kind of get in my car and drive everywhere. And I would see some places that I would never else see. Um, not that I saw too much on the highways, but it was still a cool experience to kind of say, oh yeah, the first six weeks I drove to all of them, you know, and had everything packed in my, in my car. And um, it's a lot of freedom with it. You can just leave whenever, stop at this hotel and spend the night. Um, yeah, just, yeah, it's really nice. And then uh, for the rest of this year, what are you looking forward to? Uh, each and every week, I think, is pretty fun. Uh, but obviously, the majors are a big one. And I feel like the last two that I played, I, you know, I was in contention and had a chance to win. And I know you've cracked the code here. You didn't have a top 10. Now yeah. you've got a couple in a row. What, is there anything different? Uh, I think just more experience. Um, and I guess one thing that I'm still working on is, especially on those tougher golf courses I have the tools to compete but I noticed that on some situations I'm, I'm pushing it a little too hard and I'm missing it in spots where you can't miss it in and I don't necessarily need to play perfect to to win one of those things it's just sometimes it's playing smarter and um, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to learn that a little bit when you first started playing golf full-time was it because you loved it or because you were good at it uh i mean a little bit of both I, I i think i loved it because i was good at it and i got better at it so then it's fun you want to see how good you can get uh but if i didn't like golf i wouldn't have done it for a living i don't think um i think the pursuit of trying to get better is, is super exciting um in anything that you do um golf is, golf just happens to be the the thing that I'm, you know, the best at for as a quality of mine, and I want to see, you know, how good I can become at golf. Um, so yeah, I love it. Yeah. So is that is that the same now? Essentially, you you still love it, but you also love the pursuit of it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I love competing, um, but 
it does feel like a job because obviously we're doing things like this. This isn't necessarily this what is I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> this is the good part. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, it's a part of it. Um, I mean, in everything you do, it's like, it's a grind. Most, like 90% of the things you do and you love, it's a grind, but you get those little steps where, you know, you see you're getting better. Oh, I wasn't able to do that before. You know, that's, I think that's pretty exciting. That, that makes kind of the, the journey worth it. All right, well, we'll let you get to the course, put you out of your misery here. Sounds Victor, good. Victor, thanks for sitting Finally. down with us. <laughs> good to talk to you. All right, folks, Dylan back just to close things out. I hope you enjoyed a little chat with Victor. Um, the first Norwegian we've ever had on this podcast, I should point out. Um, same time next week, I will have a co-host at that point and uh, looking forward to it this week. What do we got this week? Well, we've got a variety of things. We do have the match. We've got we get some football players playing some basketball players. That's something that may not be on your radar, but probably should be. Um, get out and play. End of June. The sun is high, late. It's pure summer school vacation. It's a good time to be alive. Good night. See you next week. And thanks for listening. Love you guys.